0: All right, we are actually, we are concluding our series an exemplary life tonight and uh, we are drawing from 1 Timothy 4 verse 12 and, and Paul communicates to Timothy several qualities that he should be setting an example for others in. He says, Timothy, hey, don't let others look down on you just because of your age but you set an example, right? They, they might be older than you, but you're called to be an example to them. And, and that's true in a unique sense of, of Timothy because he's, he's one of the leaders in the church. But I think there's a principle in this uh, that's helpful for all of us is, is what kind of qualities should we be aiming at in the young years of our life? What are certain qualities that might be particular problems? You know, he, he tells Timothy elsewhere uh, to flee youthful passions Right, so there, there are things that you're susceptible to when you're young that it's not that they're never a temptation when you're older, it's just you're, you're particularly susceptible to them the younger that you are. And so he's, he's setting before him, he's saying, hey, Timothy, uh, set an example in your, in your speech. Don't just let anything fly out of your mouth, right? That's kind of typical of teenage years and experiences. If I think it, I should say it, right? Or I should text it or tweet it. Uh, and he says, no. Let there be some guiding principles in how you approach what you say and why you say it and what you're what you're hoping to do. And so we looked at speech and conduct and faith and love, and he says, to set an example in purity. And and I'd shared some thoughts with us um when Jordan helped us with the message on exemplary conduct about that word holiness. That that word holiness was in that first Peter passage that that he developed there and, and I said that that's a word that I want us to recover as part of our Christian vocabulary that in these years of your life that, that that's not some sort of abnormal concept that doesn't enter the scene for you that there is there's a desire and an expectation that you would live a life that is holy that is set apart for God that that's not just like everything and everybody else in the values of this world. One other word that I think we need to recover, because I don't, I don't hear this word, right? And, and this was kind of a buzzword. When I, when I had my youth group experience, this was a buzzword. Jordan knows what, what I'm talking about. This was a buzzword in the day. It's the word purity. Uh, and I don't want us to just have the trend that that word was during my years uh, but I want everything that the Bible intends for that to mean to be something, something that we cherish, and that we protect, and that together, as a group and in, in in friendships, that we that we value and and encourage. And so, question for us to consider tonight: Does personal purity matter to you? Is that is that something that you're striving for? Is that something that you you're fighting to preserve? Or is it just kind of off the radar? And I don't know what's going on in this category. I'm not concerned. Um, You know, that word purity or a, or a Puritan, it, it kind of sounds like the person you don't really want around with you. They, they're, they're, their jokes are always off cue. They're stumbling over trying to figure out the punchline. You, know, you don't want them in the setting there uh, because they're just kind of the nerd at the party, right? That, that, that's what the concept of, of purity uh, conveys to, to our minds. But it's really interesting be, be, because uh, purity in the Bible. Contrary to popular expectations, it's about maximizing our pleasure. It is about getting everything that you can out of life and out of the settings of life in the way that God has designed it. It's about not settling for less than the joy of God's plan for our lives. Uh, This this Monday night, Halloween, was also Reformation Day. It was the the 499th uh, anniversary of the Protestant Reformation from 1517. So next year, 2017, it's gonna be a big deal because it's gonna be five hundred years. And and the and the reformers in England, they were known as Puritans. And some of you that are in high school courses and another college students in particular, they they travel in this. Uh, if, you're, if your concept of the Puritans comes from like your English professor or your history professor, uh, chances are it's, it's, it's pretty skewed in, in, how, in how you perceive them and what they were all about. Um, but C.S. Lewis has this really interesting way of putting it, and he's analyzing love poetry that was written by Puritans. And he says this, he says, There is no understanding the period of the Reformation in England unless we have grasped the fact that the quarrel between the Puritans and the Roman Catholics was not primarily a quarrel between rigorism and indulgence, and that insofar as it was, the rigorism was on the Roman side, not not on the Puritans. On many questions, and especially in their view of the marriage bed, the Puritans were the indulgent Party. here's what he means if I could translate Lewis for you. He's saying that contrary to how they're often portrayed, the Puritans had a really high view of the goodness and pleasure of sex in marriage. And that's because the Bible has a really high view of this. And so fighting for purity is it's about preserving our enjoyment so tonight we'll talk about God's plan for love and relationships and intimacy and how sin has come and distorted that and how Christ desires to redeem it in our lives so if you would go ahead open up your Bible and turn to 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 1st Thessalonians 4 now I know I've already pulled out the word sex in our night tonight so we're off to a good start and I do that assuming that I'm not introducing any concepts or terms that anybody here isn't already familiar with. You, you, Jacob needs to be taken aside for a moment given a refresher. Okay, um, here's just reality. I, I, went to, I went to a Christian school and in first grade, there's another school, I'm not gonna name it right now. I'll tell you later. In first grade at this Christian school, there were guys bragging about girls in the class that they wanted to have sex with. And, that, and they were just, they're just talking talk, right? They're, they're not saying anything serious. But that is, that is the culture that we live in. It is in your face, and it is in your face early on. And so I, I want to help us think through these things and, and prepare ourselves for it. Uh, for some of you, I'm speaking to what, what might be some, some current, uh, areas of temptation and and struggle, and the Lord has grace for you and wisdom to to bring to bear for others. You might not share the same struggles in the same way right now, but your thinking is, and my my thinking is affected by the world around us. And so we we want to develop some convictions on this, convictions that are there that when 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 the world has done its work on you and presented its presentation and all of its advertisements, and emotional force. There is something inside of you that remains and that allows you to relate uh, with wisdom in the surrounding culture. So let's read uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1. He says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, Just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. Your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Lord, we are grateful that you give your Spirit to us, that we are not just left to our own thoughts and wills. Lord, Lord there, there is a person dwelling within us, working in us, uh, calling forth agreement from our hearts when we hear your thoughts. And so would he be here What do you minister here? Lord, we we want to know your ways because we believe your ways really are best. So help us to grow in in insight and knowledge and appreciation. And and Lord, give give us faith and courage, Lord, to address what's inside of us that you want to put your finger on tonight. Help us think through. Help us change. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well... Paul kind of begins by talking about God's will and plan, Uh, and this is connected to his plan for romance and sexual intimacy. He says in verse 1, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk, right, so there's a phrase there, and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. And so, so Paul's presenting to them this idea, this expectation that you would live, that you would walk in a way that pleases God. And, and, and we, we, we talked about this, this life of integrity and what that involves. And integrity treats this like it's a thing that matters. right? Question for you to consider, who's the primary audience for your life? Who are you worried about noticing what you do or what you don't do or what you'll... Achieve what you avoid, what you're good at, right? Is, is, there, is there some sort of imaginary audience that you you kind of have as a as a filter that you run your actions through? Well, what would they think if I do this? What would they think if I do this, right? Is it is it your uh, your your public world of social media? Okay, who who are you trying to act for? Because if you're just acting for people, then at the end of the day. And one way or another, you're putting on a show, but to be a Christian is to live in a way that is honest before God, that treats God's perspective as the one that matters most, and He sees how we live, right? It's obvious. He knows everything that we do. He knows what's in our hearts, he knows our thoughts, he knows what we do when everybody's watching and applauding, and he knows what we do in secret when nobody else is looking, but he still sees. And he is either pleased or displeased by what we do. And so regardless of your personal opinions or what our culture thinks is normal and okay, it is God's opinion that matters, right? And, and that just follows from the fact that God exists. If you're going to say, yep, God, I believe in you, well, it just it just follows of necessity that what he thinks about life matters most, doesn't matter what the little creature as small as an ant in comparison to God next to you thinks. It's his thoughts. It's what he has spoken that matters for our lives. And, and And integrity means you develop that in you as a conviction. And that requires courage, but it requires honesty, honesty before the Lord. And and God has, He has an opinion. He has a plan for romance and for sex, and it's a good plan. Sam Storms says, the most important thing to remember as we talk about sexual purity is this, God is for you. God wants you to win. People often view God as their adversary when it comes to sex. We must embrace the truth that no, listen to this, right? This doesn't sound like the kind of thing you're supposed to write, but listen to it. No one wants our sexual satisfaction more than God. And why not? He invented it. He made you a certain way. And he put a book in the Bible there that celebrates this. Uh, well, this is what he says in verse 2. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality. And so God has, he has instructions. He has a, a revealed will for how we're supposed to approach things like love and relationships and marriage and intimacy you know how how should you how should you treat people of the opposite sex how should you go about thinking about them relating to them pursuing them um god has revealed thoughts about that and and, and chances are you know if we're just like the the typical teenager to the typical christian teenager We haven't even bothered to discover that. Now we have kind of big picture stuff in place and we know, okay, yeah, that's out of bounds and yeah, I know you're not not supposed to do that. But seeking God's will for what purity means, integrity means I want to know that and I want to live that because it matters to you. But the reality is, and we, we know this, is that God's truth runs contrary to cultural assumptions and you know it's clear in our day but that's not new Paul's writing to a people that are experiencing that they're they're from this city Thessalonica and uh, in his commentary on this Mark Howell says Thessalonica was a sex saturated city much like the world today the Greco-Roman world viewed sex as simply another biological function like eating or drinking when you were hungry you ate and when you were thirsty you drank In the same way, when you craved sex, you had sex. No restrictions, no guilt. It was simply accepted. And it was readily available if you desired it. The Thessalonians were immersed in this culture and doubtlessly some of those who followed Christ were former participants in this culture. And and that's the culture that we live in today. Sex is trivialized and it is advertised in Every single form of media that you interact with, it, it, is, just, it is just inescapable, all right? Uh, the, the music you listen to, the movie, movies that you watch, uh, commercials and advertisements, banners that pop up on the internet, other people's Instagram feeds, it, it, is, it is presenting a clear presentation about what this is and how we should receive it. But despite the cultural noise, God has designed life to be lived a certain way. And the truth is, people ignore this to their harm. Right? My, my car is designed to operate a certain way. If I just ignore the fact that, hey, it's, it's, got, it's got a steering wheel, it's got an engine, and I try to use it for some other purpose, it's not going to go well. Right? That, that's a machine, and it's a machine that can do a lot of damage if I just treat it like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, the principles of driving responsibly, that, that doesn't matter. All right? Well, it's designed to operate a certain way, and, and, and God has designed us to, to operate a certain way as well. And, and I, I typically try to appeal to the, the wisdom and the, the common sense of God's ways when I, when I communicate this. You know, I speak on high school campuses and, and do Next Generation and, and other settings, and, and sometimes this topic comes up. And how, how do you do that? How do you, how do you speak to middle schoolers and high schoolers on a secular campus that That, by and large, they might have some sort of category for yeah God and that sort of thing but but it's like there, there's not much uh there's not much weight to saying, well, the Bible says this you know that that 's not going to overcome the cultural noise that's in their lives, and so what I typically try to do is I just try to present something along the lines of of the wisdom of how God has designed this to operate right there's just a couple of images here for you uh. The culture around us presents this concept that sex is, is, is part of this bigger thing called biology. Just the way that you're made, uh, you know, biology would include, like they, they said in the quote, you know, the fact that you eat and, and drink and that sort of thing. The color of your hair, and so if, if sexuality is just 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 like... Who you are physically, uh, you can change the color of your hair, you can change your sexuality, right? There, there's, there's this, that's the, that's the larger category that's placed in, and it makes sense, if that's how you understand it, it makes sense that there aren't too many moral guidelines that really matter in the end. I mean, people aren't really stressing out, unless you're like some extreme vegan, you're not really stressing out about the moral guidelines that inform how you eat. People have the sense that, yeah, I should eat, yeah, I should eat healthy or whatever, but they're not really concerned about if they're doing something wrong by, by how they eat. Well, if you, if you put sex in that kind of category, then it, it doesn't make any sense to then address parameters for it. But listen, the reality is that's not where it belongs, sex is a it's a subset of this larger concept called intimacy right uh, of of people having shared life and shared experience and close connection and, and and the most intimate way physically that that can be done is through sexuality and so if if ses, sex is a a function of intimacy then then it's 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 not meaningless Right? It's, it's, it's designed to be the most intimate connection that someone can have. And, and, and by the way, emotional intimacy is also designed to lead to physical intimacy in an increasing ways. So they're, they're, this is all part of a, of a spectrum here. All right, so that's a, kind of the first premise that I, I give them. The second one is, is this, is that intimacy uh, really requires commitment in order to work. Right? And, and again, our, our culture tries to work against this idea as the whole Netflix and chill concept, like this is just casual, it, it doesn't take much in order to pursue, uh, but you, you really can't have intimacy, intimacy with someone unless you know they are loyal to you. Right? If you don't know this person's for you, that at the end of the day, they've got you, and, and they want you, and there is support and there is to-the-death to the loyalty. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to hold back who you are. You're going to be defensive. You're going to be reserved, right? Uh, do you guys, when you sit next to a stranger on the bus, do you kind of cuddle up close to them, or do you scoot away and try to be as far away as possible, right? You just, we just do that naturally. If there, if there are people that we don't really know, we don't know, okay, are, are you, know, you are just a, a Kind grandfather or a psychopath, right? Now I'm just not gonna take that sort of risk. Well, the same thing is true in this in this category. Unless we're convinced that there's real commitment in place, we will not really share all that we are. And I think that makes sense. And that and honestly, I think that resonates with people's experiences as well. And, and there's actually there's, there's uh scientific data that that supports this uh, be, because your brain uh, it releases chemicals right in, in sexual activity your, your brain is releasing chemicals that are designed to attach you to the other person right that, that's just what neuroscience shows now what happens to a culture of people if, if if they are hooking up and breaking up again and again and again right that that's not going to just happen without any damaging effects and so a guy named kenny luck says though young adults go along with the cultural narrative privately over 55 percent of young men and women involved in hookups do so because they want to pursue a long-term relationship with the other person research shows that is exactly what their body thinks is happening as it reacts to sexual contact by releasing massive amounts of oxytocin, dopamine, and vasopressin which are designed to create a strong emotional attachment, especially for first-timers. The current neuroscience of sex has researchers now preaching caution, great care, and management of this powerful form of touch. They see literally how sex lights up the brain and how it has long-term consequences, both negative and positive, based on what choices are made. are finding that especially with young adults the initial spark can disintegrate into a nuclear meltdown the fallout of which can span decades in the future and, and and people experience the fallout of this and the brokenness that comes from this kind of easy hookup culture right third little premise that I that I typically share and this is just a help your own thinking and and help your interaction with with your friends. If they ask, well, why do you do do that? Why do you believe that? Um, Is that you you can't really have commitment without marriage. Because anything else is dispensable. There is no other real tie in terms of human relationships that binds people together like the covenant of marriage. Now, the reality is even marriage has been treated casually in our culture today. And so a, a culture of divorce has distorted. And, and, and I'm going to make this point in a second. You would not have the sexual revolution and, and same-sex marriage and all that. You would not have that if you had not already had marriage breaking down in a, in a culture of, of divorce. But any other relationship and commitment, it, 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 is, it is as thin as words unless there is a statement before God and witnesses that we are in this until we die. And until that happens, you'll never really be free. It is only in, it's, it's only before God and it is only in marriage where humanity is described as being naked and Unashamed. There's shame in every other setting. But it is only what God has designed marriage to be where true nakedness and without any shame, without any intended reservation can can happen. All right, Um, Paul says that this is God's will. It is your sanctification and sanctification as we described it is being set apart for God as, as holy, as separate, and so there's a measure that he's including here that God doesn't have any intentions for you to just fit in with the world around you. And so if something feels wrong, because uh, this feels different, this, doesn't, this, this feels mocked and unusual, he says, yep, and that's the point, because the whole world is flipped upside down. They don't know what's right, what, right, what's right side up. And so if you stand right side up in a world that's upside down, uh, you are going to stand out. And he says, and that is exactly what God's plan for your life is. And so we, we're called to be distinct in how we approach things like love and relationships. He wants us to walk in integrity. And he says, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And, and that, that phrase um, the, the Greek word for that is porneia. Uh, we get our, our word pornography from, from that uh, description of sexual immorality. But it's, it's just, it's just de- describing everything that is outside of God's plan and purpose for how sex is to exist between one man and one woman in marriage. And, 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 and trying to achieve any sort of sexual experience outside of that the Bible calls this sexual immorality. It, it's trying to steal away some form of experience outside of the good boundaries that God has given it. And, and I, I, hope, I hope we're in agreement with what with, with the Bible has to say here. And I trust that, that we are. But like I said earlier, th- th- this needs to exist in, in, in more than just the realm of somewhere floating there and yeah, no sex outside of marriage. Right? There, there are biblical convictions that shape and inform how you approach this. And, and, and we have seen people fall into temptation in these categories and, and, and people that you, you wouldn't expect. Listen, in, in, when I was in my youth group, there were two teenagers who got pregnant and, and they would have been some of the last people that you would have ever guessed. So that's not going to happen to them. right? Because it, it, it's one thing to have some ideas and it's another thing to hold to them and to have your thinking shaped by the Bible and the way God has designed life to operate even at a risk, even when it costs you. Um, there's this book by Anthony... Esselin, and, and he, it's called Defending Marriage, Twelve Arguments for Sanity, and he, he had written it, it was before uh, the Obergefell Supreme Court decision, but it was um, addressing why we should preserve the definition of marriage that has always existed for humanity and not suddenly redefine that as being something that could possibly be a man and a man or a woman and a woman. And, and it's really interesting. And, and, and that book had an interesting effect on me because I realized how much of my own understanding and thinking has been influenced by the culture that we live in. And it's just really striking. He's just a little sample. He, 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 he tells a story in the beginning about his, his parents and their experience and kind of their love story. Um, and that's how he, how he shapes his approach to the rest of the book. Um, but he asked us, he says, "Did my parents abstain from sex before they were married? <laughs> what an ugly expression it is, and a misleading too. They could no more abstain from sex than they could suspend the laws of gravity, as in a cartoon and imagine themselves not a man and not a woman. My father was a man, and my mother was a woman. even a little child would know that sex is what nature provided them with." Did they then abstain from uniting in the marital embrace? Listen to this. Once you call things by their proper names, the names that reveal their reality, you see that the question makes no sense. To do what married people do while not being married, to engage in the marital act without matrimony, to do the child-making thing while denying it in intent, is to contradict yourself. It is to tell a lie. What they abstained from was the pretense, the lie. I love this. He says... It is like saying that they abstained from painting graffiti all over a priceless statue. It is like saying that they held their itching fingers back from uprooting the roses in the garden. It is like saying they denied themselves the pleasure of amputating a finger or a hand. Yes, I'm quite aware that the marital act is attended by great physical pleasure. All the more, then, should that pleasure be enjoyed at the right time, in the right way, just as one does not order a wedding cake for dessert unless there has been a wedding. My parents did not abstain. That's what an athlete might do with a beer to shed a few pounds. My parents kept themselves pure and whole for one another. They wanted joy, not pleasure on the cheap. They wanted more, not less, and that's what purity is all about. It is about pursuing more for ourselves and more for the people that we love. God calls us to relate with sacrifice and not selfishness toward one another. I'll hit our final two points more quickly. Look at verse 4. This is how he says, That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. And the the word brother there, it's just the generic word for brother and sister. Uh, So he's talking about among the Christian community that you not wrong one another, in how you relate with one another. And he, and he presents that as, as, a, as a category here that there, there is, there's an appropriate way and there's an inappropriate way to relate to the opposite sex. And, and, and he, he tells Timothy in, in another uh, passage, he tells him to treat younger women like sisters. All right, So the Bible uses this language of of brother and sister, and he uses that for, for believers, right, so he's not just talking about anybody in the world, although there, there's a principle here that that plays out, right, so uh, outside of marriage, God calls for you to interact and treat people of the opposite sex the way that you treat your brothers and your sisters, all right, uh, now I know some of you really mistreat your brothers and sisters, so I'm not talking about that. Uh, I think your mind can fill in the difference. You know the difference between treating someone like a sister and treating someone like an object to be desired, pursued and used. Right? You know the difference between treating somebody like they're your brother and treating somebody like they're your hope for affirmation and affection, and what can I do, and how can I relate to you, and what can I give you that gives to me what I want right you You're not playing that game with your brothers and your sisters, but we can do that with others that we encounter and and, and i want I want to introduce this category I mentioned it earlier. there is physical intimacy, right. Purity applies to that in obvious ways. But there's this whole other category called emotional intimacy. And they're connected. And by design, one is intended to lead to the other. Right? So romantic affection and stirring that up and sharing life and sharing all that you are emotionally with someone by design, there's only so far that that's supposed to go before that transfers into something physical. And physical touch and interaction and being intimate in those ways, by design, there's only so far that that's supposed to go before it goes all the way. That's how God has made this. And so it's very artificial to try to relate with somebody in a way that's sharing and bearing your soul and everything that you are and for that to not ever go across any inappropriate boundaries. And it's very artificial for you to be very physical with somebody and then whoop, slam on the brakes right up on this artificial line. And, and, and I know people do that. People do that to create excuses for something that Their conscience on the inside knows this isn't right. This isn't appropriate. And so what Paul is calling for us here is is for you to relate with other people in a way that's not self-serving but intended to serve them right? Sexual immorality, it's, it's, it's like the logical consequence of, I'm just here to serve me and whatever happens to you, however you're affected by this, that's not really of a concern for me. We don't say that with our words, but that's what our actions are implying. All right, but we, we, can, still, we can still approach things like love and dating and relationships and how we manage that. And our priority, the reason why we're in this game is, how can this serve me? How's this going how to make me feel? This is this going to make me feel accepted and loved and excited? And, and I, I'm not trying to be extreme in saying that any, any sort of interaction along those lines is, is absolutely wrong. I'm just saying that what is your motive in this? And is it informed by wisdom? Is it informed by the way that God has intended for this to operate. So if you're, if you're dating, if you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, be honest with yourself. Are you in this relationship because you genuinely want what is best for the other person or because you like the way it makes you feel? Are you in this to honor God and to work toward His priorities or are you in this to serve yourself? Because listen, it is just a small step from being led by how something makes you feel emotionally, to then being led by how something makes you feel physically, and so Paul calls for us to operate in self-control. He says, "Let, let each one of you learn know how to control your body." Right? Uh, Nobody remains pure just by accident. You, you don't default to holiness. You know what does default? Windows Ten defaults to Microsoft Edge. And that is just the most annoying thing in the world. So it's like, no matter how many times I've told it, no, I want Adobe to open my PDFs, not some strange internet browser. No, I want Google Chrome to open my web pages, not some strange wannabe internet browser. It's still defaulting to that, right? That's just how, whatever, some some terrorist wrote it in the code. Um, You do not default to godliness. You have to be very intentional to preserve it in your heart and actions. And so you need to be intentional with your thoughts, intentional with how you spend your time, who you're with and why, what you're doing when you're you're alone. Because I, I trust some of us know this from experience. Those are moments where you are susceptible to Temptation, And unless you enter them deciding ahead of time, I will say no. I will live in self-control. You will slide right in. You know, I, I think that different forms of sexual sin, if that's pornography, if that is just inappropriate touch and, and behavior between two people, the opposite sex, that doesn't just come from like some raging lust or something like that. I mean, that, that's in play. I think more often than not, it comes from distraction and dissatisfaction. You feel the pressures of life. You feel your anxieties. And you just would like something that would kind of get you away from that and get you distracted. You guys realize that's a, that's, that's a vulnerable moment. It is vulnerable. If you find yourself just dissatisfied with life and, and what God is doing and who He is to you and, and how He intends for you to know Him and enjoy Him, if, that, if that's small for you, you're, you're in a place where temptation can take root. And so the Bible calls for us to, to be on guard. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Uh, guard, guard where your heart's affections are. What you are allowing to reign on your heart, where all your hopes and dreams lie, does, does that lie with some other human individual? Because it, it is designed to find satisfaction in God, and God alone. Wisdom should inform this as well. So, Song of Solomon two. Verse 7 says, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles (laughs) or the does of the field. That's a classic like Song of Solomon phrase. He just starts appealing to bouncy animals. Uh, But here's the point. That you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Did you know that verse was in the Bible? That the Bible is actually saying, hey, hold up. I know you're really big on this whole love and relationship thing. And, And God's given that. He's made that. But there is wisdom that informs how should that be stirred up? How should that be fanned on the inside of you? Because you know what? By design, when you stir it up, you're supposed to do all the other stuff that the Song of Solomon talks about. That's how God made it to work. And so it it uh, asks us to walk in, in wisdom. All right, uh, here is good news for us finally. Verse 7, he says this, For God has not called us for in purity, but in holiness. Therefore whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So 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 God's given us a call, and that call's not based on what we have done. It's not based on any worth inside of us. It's just by grace, but but there's a destination to that call. He's saying he's called you to a certain destination, to to holiness and and and, 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 and with all of the power and enabling that we need. And so he says, he gives the Holy Spirit to us. He, he gives us the ability to walk in integrity. He gives us what we need to say no to temptation. He gives us forgiveness for when we fail. And look, maybe, maybe for some of you there's, There's failure that comes to mind. Somebody you've gone too far with. Or maybe, you know, you you can think of just your own thoughts and what's been in your heart. And that's not been pleasing to God. Right? There's failure there. And there's forgiveness from God. There is a call that enters our life, not on the basis of what we do, and still says, Hey, you, I want you. And I want you for holiness. I want you for purity. So get up and let's go. You know, that's a little bit of the problem with some of the ways that, I don't know if you're familiar with any of this, there's a lot of critique, and you'll encounter this later in high school and college, there's a big critique of of purity culture, right? The the kinds of stuff that I just share with you tonight is made fun of and, and like called evil by a world that has exalted sexual fulfillment as the height of anything that anybody can experience. But there were some problems with some of the ways that these things were, were, were handled. And there's a, there's a preacher named Matt Chandler, and he gives this example. And he says he was at a conference one time, and this was the topic, and there was somebody who, who took a rose. And, and, they, and he took it and he smelled it. And and he just had everybody pass it down and says, Okay, you 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 take a smell of the rose, and handle it. Uh, and he just he, he let that pass around while he was giving his his presentation. And then he came out and his presentation it was about STDs and all stuff, fun stuff like that, right? And then and then when his his big like crescendo at the end was he says, All right, who's got the rose now? Who's got it? And then somebody handed it to him, and it's all crumpled and deformed and bruised and broken apart, and he says, now who would want this? Right? And his point is, if you just pass yourself around a bunch of people, who's going to want you? Now, the point, and we saw this, there are real consequences. There are real effects that, have, that happen to people who take a casual approach to something that God has not made to be treated casually. But Matt Chandler said, I I just felt rising up in my heart. Of course, Jesus does. Jesus wants the rose. That's the whole point of the gospel, that, that, that we're never too deformed or too broken or too sinful for God to want us and restore us. And so every single person on the planet is in one way or another a sinner in this category. We're sexually broken people and there's redemption and there's grace and then there's the power to do what's right because we wanna walk in integrity before God. And that's the hope that's in our passage here. Uh, Let's pray. God, we thank you for the gift of your insight. And the promises that you bring to us, Lord Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart because they will see God. We want to see you. And so God, we we don't want to give ourselves to temptation and activity that hinders us from seeing you clearly, from seeing all the joy that You want us to know in You. So help us, God. Cleanse us, strengthen us, instill convictions in our hearts, and Lord, place in us eager desires for Your purposes. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.